Welcome to Try Not to Blink, a podcast about the ups and downs, ins and outs, news, tips, and tricks of those who live the optometry lifestyle. We'd like to thank the amazing people at Valley Contacts who've made this podcast possible. Of course, they're makers of stellar gas permeable lenses and the oh-so-incredible custom stable scleral lens. In case you are wondering, I am on the East Coast and my name is Dr. James Diem. I'm joined by the uber-talented Roya, my co-host who's repping the West Coast, Dr. Roya Habibi. How are you tonight? Super excited. This is going to be, I feel like a broken record because I'm always excited, but this is maybe one of my favorite topics we've talked about. Because, like, how really? often do we hear about these things? I, I think this is a very topical topic. It's trending and right now. You're right. I think people are going to absolutely love it. It's, it's, it's extremely topical, extremely pertinent. And I agree with you. I think it's, I think we're going to get it. I've never, ever seen this in a podcast anyway. You know, so I, I think we're, we're, we're blazing a trail in, in, uh, more innovators. than one way here. We're innovators. See, see what I did there? I love what you did. <laughs> if you didn't hear our little clip, we tonight are going to be talking about marijuana, marijuana, and the eyes. But yes, it also we have an extra special guest, which I cannot wait to introduce everyone to. But cliffhanger, before we go there, let's talk about a non-OD related topic. Hashtag nothing to do with optometry. Yes. So, my technician, Hannah. What up, girl? Hannah, what up, girl? What up, homegirl? She uh, keeps me involved and in the know of all pop culture, and she today sent me this article that I almost died listening to. Hannah's so cool. I mean, I mean, she, she honestly stuff. is badass. I could. Go I into never that knew. I would have never known this. She's super cool. She's like it, girl on Twitter. Love it. But that, I think that's why she knows all these these super trendy things. But you guys, disgusting. But headline article from BBC: Can everyone stop drinking their own urine? What? I mean, jaw dropped. You sent me this, and I like looked at it like, okay, onion, like some totally ridiculous no. you know, Facebook post or whatever. This is like real stuff. I mean, this a couple examples from the article. 33-year-old yoga teacher. Uh, she's doing this <laughs> to, and it's helped her relieve long-term health issues related to Hashimoto's and fibromyalgia. Another woman, 46-year-old, uh, <laughs> it has helped her lose half of her body weight. She's lost she's 120 kilograms. Sick. Yeah, right, because she literally can't eat because she's so sick from eating her own pee. They call it the magic liquid. So as you're saying this, and I, I know that you've done some of this research, I'm thinking to myself, well, what is in what is in urine? Like, what would be so magical about it? Do you know? Like, what is there Good any question. basis for this? Good question. So, <laughs> for the record, it is a this this process of urine therapy is called urophagia. Come on. And if you Google it on, uh, but if you Google this, there's like a hundred thousand hits on Google for urine therapy. But 
there really isn't much to back any of this. I know that's shocking for everyone to hear, but urine contains mostly urea, of course, uric acid, some creatine, some different electrolytes, uh, phosphates, some trace proteins, and of course, hormones, glucose, and other water-soluble vitamins, i.e. the vitamins we take too much and thus get peed out. (laughs) But uh, I mean, ultimately, if you think about it, the poor kidneys that are trying to get rid of stuff that the body doesn't need just gets a huge concentration of what it's already filtered out. So from everything I'm reading, if anything, it's just putting more strain on that system. Hmm. But you're out. You're in. Yeah. You're out. I'm not, I'm not down with this. Keto diet. All right. I'll listen about it. We talked about that last episode. You know, I, I even gave it a try. Urine diet, urine phagia. Nope, <laughs> not gonna do it. Don't I need care. to tell one more story. It says nope. that somebody did drank their pee, and she used to get mosquito bites all the time, and now she only gets little bites that don't swell. Oh, perfect! I would Try not drink some... my own pee for yeah. the sake of a mosquito bite. How about would deet? you? No. Deep bug spray works just fine. Oh my god! Right? Why? You know what I've heard with peeing? Um, I don't know if you heard of this ever, but I've heard that like we're getting a little crazy here. But that if you get uh, poison ivy, that you're supposed to, or no, not not poison ivy. I'm sorry, it's not poison ivy. It's a um, a sting from a jellyfish. Have jellyfish you heard that? sting. I have heard that. I mean, pee so on it's... yourself or somebody else pee on you. I mean, it's yeah. I think that's it's because of the pee. urea. That's in urine. Um, I don't have any are facts you, to give on that, that one, up? but <laughs> I don't know. It's okay if you are crazy, but anyways, that's it for that. What okay. about for our slipod? A slip cell pod. Cell pod. <laughs> Scleral lens pearl of the day. Hashtag. Cell pod. Cell pod. So last time we talked about how important insertion and removal is. And and so, you know, on that same train of thought, you know, there's these really great little um, uh, insertion uh, stages that people have for people that have poor dexterity or just aren't able to, you know, bring the plunger to their eye. It's a lot uh, to do at once. It. Say it again? It's a lot to do at once. It is. It is. A, you have to open your eye. You got to look down. You have to be able to balance the fluid in the in the lens. You know. And again, we said how important getting the lens is, getting it in is. So getting somebody to be able to do this is is hugely important because otherwise they won't be able to use use it. So um, Dowsey Adaptives has this little device you can use, and um, it's basically just the end of a PVC pipe, a circular domed PVC pipe drilled hole in the middle and then they cut the uh end off a large dmv place it in the middle the lens uh sits there and then you bring your head to to it well you could actually make this uh pretty much for free uh you could just take a solo cup put it upside down take a pen shove it in the top make a hole in the solo cup and do the same thing with the dmv cut the end Put it in the in the cup, and Dalsy has this little light that they'll put in the um, uh, DMV so that the patient has a uh, fixation point. They call it the sea green uh, um, inserter. And what you could do is you could just take your cell phone, put it underneath the uh, uh, solo cup with the light on, and then the light will come through the uh, uh, DMV 
Fancy. In the top of the, yeah, yeah. So it works works really, really well and uh, easy for the patient to see right there in the office that it works. So that's our cell pod of the day, sponsored by Valley Contacts. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, anyway. I love that cell pod of the day. In fact, I did this the other day for a patient. I have a um, 84-year-old who is yes. new-ish to scleral lenses, has had multiple cool. transplants. But anyway, he's wearing sclerals beautifully. He really likes them. Um, but his poor wife has been putting them in for him all the time. And right. obviously that is, you know, a je- small burden, but something that she's just kind of – she's helping him, but she wants him to learn. And it's a lot for him because he has some stability issues as well. But sure. we went over how to do that for himself, and he's actually quite good at it. So – uh, it kind of takes one of the coordinating things away and is very helpful, especially for people who do have issues with dexterity. So totally nice. agree on that one. Cool. Amazing. Well, so I think we're we're uh, getting all juiced up here to talk about our main discussion, which let, I'm going to give a little primer into our discussion. Do you mind if I do that? Absolutely. So, so this really kind of, First of all, very topical. We already said what we're talking about. But uh, there was a post on OS Docs the other day uh, by a Richard Maharaj. And I am sure that I'm saying his name incorrectly. Doc, I am sorry. Um, but he practices in Canada. And as you may know, Canada has a wide adoption of legal uh, marijuana uh, recently. So he had a patient come in with an eyedropper for uh, um, corneal uh, neuropathy. So she's using it for dry eye, essentially. Uh, But it's interesting. On the bottle, it says 1 THC, 25 CBD. So, you know, does anybody here know what that means? Anyone? Anyone? No, probably not. So, you know, this is why we wanted to, you know, get a little more information from an expert. And and that's what we have going on. Since uh, Roya is on the West Coast, where most people are high- and uh, like all the time casually uh she happens to know someone who is an expert in this area and and i'm joking around about it really but um we're gonna try and be much more serious about it here so we're gonna learn all about weed and eyes okay i am so excited to introduce a very near and dear friend of mine matt matthew wyatt (laughs) do you go by matthew only my mother and when i'm in trouble perfect so Matt, we wanted to bring Matt on because he is the source, okay? So we've all been to conferences where we hear from the head researcher talking about uh, research about marijuana, but we thought what better than getting a farmer, someone who's growing marijuana, who's been in the industry for some years and could talk about it from the the like raw side of it you know we can hear all the pure sterile side of what marijuana is all about but we want to hear about the raw side of it the real side of it so matt's been in the industry for over seven years he actually owns his own farm in douglas city california dubbed misty bear farm ah shoot misty bear creek farm sorry matt it is a uh self-operated organically grown uh farm of his own so, Matt, I'm so proud of you for doing this. I mean, he's had it for four years now, right? Yes, this is our fourth season. Has it been four years? It has been. Four oh, my long gosh. Years. Um, so, so there's seasons? 
that, what is a season, Matt? So, so uh, outdoor makes up about probably sixty five percent of what's done here. So, the outdoor growing season uh, begins in June and wraps up early to mid October, depending on the strains you're running and how long they they take to flower out. So, uh, so all of my outdoor plants okay. they're big and beautiful right now. They have probably two to three weeks left. A couple strains, maybe a little longer. But uh, you know, different different types take longer to finish up than others. Jimmy, I've had the pleasure of visiting this farm before. Really? But Jimmy, what do you think a full grown outdoor marijuana plant looks like? Like, give me give me just a ballpark like height. Yes. Honestly, I have no clue. I really yes, don't. Just I've for only fun. seen them like in raids of people like getting them <laughs> pulled out of their house uh, from their basement or their attic with like these crazy hydroponic and like light sources, uh, you know. So I'm going to say three feet, three feet tall. Matt, break it down. A little, tall, a little taller than that. Um, so we do, uh, I don't do a very large number of outdoor plants, but the ones I do are really large. So uh, I average probably 10 to 14 feet in height and uh come on yeah yeah it looks uh, it's almost like having an orchard uh i have an apple i have an apple orchard right next to my uh marijuana orchard and they're very comparable in size so really so is there a statement like knee high by the fourth of july like have you ever heard that knee high by the fourth of july is i have i have heard that my 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 girlfriends uh from iowa and her family grows corn so i've become very familiar with that statement. Um, no, we. If it's knee high by the Fourth of July, then I failed at my job. Um, I want them probably uh, already at eight, probably seven to eight feet by the Fourth of July. It's around what I'm what I'm shooting for. So, I just have so much I want to learn. We need to go about this in some organized fashion, Roy. Well, start I'm us happy out. to like, guide us I just have here. a million so, questions. So first, let's do just like a basics marijuana 101. Okay. Marijuana 101. Say marijuana that five times fast. Co- cannabis. Marijuana, aka cannabis, right? Right? Yes. Like that. That's um, right. Give us a breakdown. Like, we've all heard all these words marijuana, CBD, THC, indica, sati- Like, what is all of this? Give it, get it, give it to us straight. Okay. So, uh, the general breakdown, very, very loose kind of uh, explanation is the uh, like cannabis plant itself is a very complex plant and they're discovering that it has over 400 different com- chemical compounds inside of the plant that, uh, that make it up. And you primarily have four dominant ones. Um, everyone knows about THC, uh, which is tetrahydrocannabinol is the official name of that. It's a mouthful. Um, but that is the psychoactive Ooh, yeah. component of marijuana. That's the intoxicant. That's what gets you high. Um, that's what, so in the recreational part of marijuana production, that's what everyone's trying to achieve, a really high THC content. Um, now, they also have uh, CBD, which is cannabidol, which is uh, a lot of the health benefits of the plant they're discovering um, of late. And it's what, uh, it's kind of getting, it's getting caught this new reputation of being, you know, of all, being healthy in all aspects. A lot of people are just kind of like, uh, Applying it is called a catch-all, I guess, uh, medical beneficial compound of, of marijuana. And uh, it's, uh, it's still really unknown what the different effects of CBD on the body are, but they are 
all the time coming up with new treatment forms. I was just reading an article today about how the FDA and DEA have approved uh, pharmaceutical companies to start using <clears throat> CBD oil and medications for children with epilepsy, two types of epilepsy. Just got approved by the DEA, just signed off on it today, actually. I saw that. That's super exciting. Now that the FDA and the DEA are starting to like actually sign off on, on it being used in medication, you're going to see the science that's not been there in the past. Uh, we'll start the hard science research, the double-blind studies, the the stuff that we've been wanting for years. But until pretty recently, until probably the last five to ten years, the the farmers and uh, and the users have been the main researchers into you know the different effects and the different properties of different strains and all. So uh, so yeah, so THC, CBD, they're the two big ones, and then there's cannabinol in there. And cannabinol was actually the first discovered isolated compound back in you know the late 1800s. Um, it was discovered, and that was thought to be the active ingredients. And then in the 60s, they came through with all this scientific information about THC and CBD to kind of fill in the blanks. And it's still growing. Like I said, over 400 compounds every day. They're coming out with a new compound and what specifically it can interact with in the body to uh, to help people. And uh, it's also important to know well, that tell everyone's. Me, tell me too. Taking a step back, taking a step back real quick. Tell me what you know because everyone hears about these like indica and sativa. Is that other compounds or what is that in what is that? Okay, so indica and sativa are the two subspecies of the marijuana plant. Um, there's, there's actually there's a there's a third that's very you know, it's not nearly as well known, but we'll we'll stick to indica and sativa as the two dominant ones. Uh, indica is a shorter plant generally. It's got broad, deep green leaves, um, and it's higher in CBD than sativa. Now, sativa is a taller, more like lime green leaf structure, very skinny leaf, and it is higher in THC than. Uh, than the so those are two the two main subgroups, but right now everything's about these hybrids. That's what everyone grows today. So there's no real true uh, indica or sativa anymore. It's all mixed and there's a blend. It's like a 60-40 indica sativa blend, and that's kind of to encompass everything. And uh, it's just very rare to find a true one or the other. Interesting. What about also, we hear about all these different variations, right? We hear about the flower, of course. We hear about oils, tinctures. Obviously, they're, they're especially in the medical field, right? In mm -hmm, the medical mm -hmm. field, they're concentrating it and purifying it. But kind of break down all those different things, all those different ways to, I guess, harvest the fruit or harvest the <laughs> – I don't know how you say uh, that. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so the extracts um, are really big these days, and yeah, they're coming up with all kinds of new ways to to remove the uh, the trichomes uh, because those are the if you zoom in very closely on a marijuana bud, you'll see these tiny little like crystal mushroom looking things, and they're called trichomes. And when they fill with res resin, that's when it's time to harvest, and they turn this milky amber color. So basically what these extract people are doing is they're removing the trichomes and preserving them in their natural state, um, separated from the plant material. So there's several ways to do this. You can use alcohol. You can use fat. They're fat-soluble. They're cold. You can remove them with cold. So uh, a lot of people are doing CO2 blasting and, and ice hash. And, you know, I'm not really too keen on all the fancy new ways that they're coming up with to, uh, to consume. I'm a, I'm kind of a naturalist. I grow the flower and then I let the, the smart scientists that want to take that and turn it into the high concentrate extracts. I pass that on down the line. 
So we all have our strengths, and it's good to know where <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what I mean, as a farmer, what qualifies high quality production of cannabis? Everyone gets a little worried. I mean, obviously, in the past, especially in the recreational field, there were people mixing things or, you know, before when there weren't as many shops. I mean, on the West Coast, all the West Coast, we have very uh, well regulated shops that will show you the breakdown of all of the ingredients and all of the con- uh, uh I guess chemicals, I'm not sure if that's the right word, but properties of what you're purchasing. But what what gets your – like how do you know when you're getting good quality cannabis? What does it take? What's the growing season? Is it indoor or outdoor? Um, so it, it's kind of up to the consumer what type of cannabis they prefer. Uh, with, the, with the testing that's come along with legalization in California, uh, now – we all submit our stuff to labs who uh, run several different screenings. They're actually about to kick in the third tier of screening in California in 2019. That's going to start looking for uh, certain uh, heavy metals um, that get transitioned or transferred beyond molds and pesticides, which is basically what they're screening for now. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I don't I'm sure you guys probably smoked weed in high school or in college somewhere along the way, bought a bag of weed from a friend or something like that. Those days are pretty much done unless Never. you know someone who's, who's growing. Uh, if you buy something through a shop these days, uh, there's pretty stringent tests that it has been submitted um, and, and been passed. So, I think that's important for improving the validity of all of it, right? So that it's not just oh, some like – herbal street medication it has something more value whether it is the recreational side of it or some of the other medicinal things um yeah you don't want to smoke something that's got nasty pesticide sprayed on it stuff so no definitely not what um what uh how did you get into this i mean where where'd this come from how did how do you become a marijuana farmer i mean that's like a pretty unique profession you know my 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 dad asked me that question all the time um uh so basically uh, uh i had an opportunity back in 2011 to come to california and work on a friend's family farm uh, I, I i moved across the country and started you know just a hand helping with the harvest doing the trim season and uh you know i kind of took to it and was interested in it i'd had some interest prior to coming um my brother was diagnosed with cancer uh, probably 10 or 12 years ago. And, uh, you know, as he was going through his treatment, I was there with him for a lot of it because uh, family obligations and, you know, he had children. And so his wife couldn't be there all the time for his treatment. So I filled in. We went to Arkansas. So I got to see firsthand the effects of some of this medication, uh, the, the radiation therapy, the chemotherapy, all that stuff. And just saw how difficult it was for him to to eat, to have an appetite after going through these. And, you know, I brought a little weed along and we'd get stoned and I'd watch his appetite come back and, you know, his, his pain would seem to subside. So that really kind of was a, a big factor in pushing me to, to um, learn more and just kind of uh, – try to help more in the industry. I have a health education background coming out of college and I never really found anything in that field that kind of fit. And this, this seems like, you know, in some weird kind of roundabout way that it, it, it does fit my degree. And it's, uh, it's something that does provide a lot of help and you, all it takes is reading the story or talking to someone who has a child who's epileptic and having a hundred micro seizures a day and then a couple drops of CBD oil and they're down to one or two a week. And it's just, 
you know, it's an amazing plant that has a lot of benefits and it has unfortunately a pretty nasty stigma that we're trying to beat down every day, but I think we're, we're winning hearts and minds. Right. And, uh, yeah. And that's that, that, what you just said, I think is a lot of what, uh, Roy and I have been talking about. And, um, you know, that's, it's a challenge. It's a huge challenge and it's, it's challenge, you know, from, you know, a legislative standpoint, it's a challenge from a healthcare standpoint. It's a challenge from, you know, individual standpoint, you know, it just, it has a negative connotation. So how do we transcend that? What kind of words do you use? Do you not say weed or, or, you know, like, do you, do you try and use medical terms? Do you try and, you know, like, there's just a lot of slang that's with it that I think degrades the value of the medical benefits and, and even for recreational use, you know, I mean, it's not looked at poorly to go have a couple beers, um, you know, with friends. Is it something that we should potentially, you know, change the way that we look at somebody going to have, you know, a couple smokes with a friend? Like, is that, is that something that you think is, um, doable and when when and how do we get there uh yeah i think that uh you know it 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 is tough to kind of toe that line because as you say it has medical qualities and it's also used recreationally so it's uh there's not really a whole lot of other things out there substances you know medication uh it's it's meant to be used medically some people take it recreationally even though that's not its intent uh that kind of has a negative stigma associated with it uh alcohol uh you know it used to have more of a medical function than it does in today's society uh but yeah it's kind of one of those weird things that uh it, it has to walk in both worlds a little bit and i think to the people who use it recreationally to to get high and have a good time um there are people that focus on that part of it trying to make the highest thc or the best extract uh but at the same time there are people who truly see the medical benefits of it and want to explore that more, you know, kind of like the health benefits of having a glass of wine and stuff like that. It's, it's very, very tough to kind of, uh, be taken serious as a medical, uh, function when you also have this recreational application. So, uh, it's going to be a, a tough one to overcome, but I think slowly, I think you can live in both worlds. And I think that you can have people that focus on the recreational side and people that focus on the medical side. So, Absolutely. Well, yeah. I know, you know, and, kind you know, of I on think... that topic, you know, from the medical perspective, especially Western medicine, current modern medicine, we like evidence-based medicine. You know, we like big studies that are well-controlled and well-designed, and it's really hard to do. In fact, considering right now, back in the uh, actually 1937, there was a Mar- Marijuana Prohibition Act that actually banned researchers, essentially, or impeded researchers from conducting basic research on marijuana. And also in the 70s, the Substance Abuse Act actually placed it as a class one or schedule one medication, thus deeming it with no known medical value. And I mean, there's a ton of research and a ton of history in marijuana. And to give it that sort of branding, obviously, for the medical community, no one wants to cause harm to their patient. But also, kind of what you guys are saying, I mean, a lot of the resources I was finding before going on PubMed, some of our like medical resource searching options is like High Times or Medical Jane <laughs> or Green Spirit, Inhale MD, <laughs> all these like funny, catchy names. But of course, for in the medical community that like everyone thinks, oh, that's hodgepodge. That's 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 not real. 
But uh, but I like kind of what we were talking about about the treatment. I mean, a lot of us in the eye community hear about glaucoma. Obviously, um, there's mm-hmm. a pretty cool study out of the American Journal, uh, or sorry, the Journal of American Medical Association back in 1971, uh, where actually one of the doctors was saying, you know, I'm noticing my eye pressure is going down because he personally had glaucoma. He was treating him. He was going through treatment himself. And then he decided to do a huge uh, study on it, or not huge, but he did a study on it actually through John Hopkins, where they were monitoring his pressure as well as other participants, and they noticed a reduced inflow of aqueous. Thus, eye pressure was going down, which is pretty cool. Um, Mm -hmm. But some of the other things that you mentioned, for instance, is epilepsy. Now, you talked about some of the people that you've heard. I mean, tell me more that you've heard about epilepsy or even chronic pain or nausea. What What are some of the, like kind of street stories about that yeah so uh you know it's they have all kinds of of different um treatment plans that they've come up with where they find that it helps people out i mean anti-inflammatory principles um it's been known to be an aid to quit smoking and to they're finding now that it's, it's actually it's beneficial in helping people off of opiate addictions um you know a lot of mental diseases like schizophrenia uh, PTSD. Um, it has very. Uh, it's proven in some tests to have really good anti-cancer properties as well. So I think that it's it's just been found to be this plant that can be applied to anything. It's kind of that's why it's earned this kind of catch-all medical application. Where even if you don't know if it's going to work for a condition you have, people are trying it just because the tests haven't been done, and you know it's. It's easy to why not right? to try. The dangers aren't high on it, despite you know the reefer madness mentality. Like like you were saying, uh, how it was put on Schedule One, and the whole backstory behind that is pretty pretty ridiculous as well. Um, had to do with the timber barons back in the '30s and uh, this big anti-immigration push that the sharecroppers coming over from Mexico to work the fields in California were smoking it, and so that's part of the reason that it got demonized so early. And I mean. To this day, they I feel like uh, I read five or ten years ago they were still showing reefer madness at uh, in in D.C. at these hearings to find out whether they would you know decriminalize or take it off the substance one list. And the fact that it's listed as a substance one drug with with some pretty gnarly stuff is it's just it's kind of mind boggling that we're that far behind and that close minded to uh, to exploring well, it. And a lot in of- 1986. It actually was changed to Schedule 2, so it's not as Uh bad anymore. Okay. But a judge did – a DEA judge actually did switch it to a Schedule 2, at least per my research. So I could be wrong, but still, regardless, I mean, believe it – do you know that I found this research? There is confirmed use of cannabis dating back to 3,750 BC. That's crazy. It is. Emperor Shen Nung in China was a early hemp enthusiast, they deemed him, saying that the female plant, which you probably could tell me more about what this means, female plant, but it has treatments for absent-mindedness, rheumatic pains, constipation, malaria, and even female disorders. (laughs) Hmm. Very nice. Uh, yeah, and the and the female so so a little more tidbit <laughs> on the plant. The female plant is actually the budding 
side of the plant. So what you see, the buds that you see and the people, okay. you know, that is, that is the female plant is what I grow. You know, the males produce pollen. So I use those for, for crossbreeding and like creating new strains and stuff. But the female plant is the one that we, we grow and harvest and it's for the, it's for the money is. I see. I have a, I have a quick question for you. What, um, are there any insects that are important for the plant? Uh, so yeah, there, JB's there are, uh, <laughs> there are beneficial pl- uh, pests. Uh, they call them predatory pests uh, that eat pests. Well, you know, predatory insects that eat pests that are bad for the plant. So uh, ladybugs are one. Ladybugs are very beneficial if you have yeah. a bunch of them. A lot of people will release them in their greenhouses and and let them loose in there. You know, it's oh, hard really? to get them to stay in place. But yeah, they eat uh, they eat spider mites. They eat uh, aphids. They eat white flies. A lot of pests that are are negative for the plant. Uh, so they are known as a predator predator bug. And there's there's a few other types, but the ladybugs are the most commonly used and the most commonly talked about. What about so bees? It's like a natural pesticide for you. It is, yeah, yeah. And now that everything's having to go organic, you know, uh, most of our, most of the pest treatment that I use are essential oils. Uh, neem oil is one that's been used for a really long time. Uh, so uh, yeah, those are sprayed on at different times, and, uh, and yeah, it's it's. Now that you can't use the nasty pesticides anymore, it's not so much a uh, – it's a prevention more than a treatment for, for your plant. So uh, by putting these stuff on early, you build up the waxes and the oils on the leaf and that will prevent the bugs from being able to eat them. So, um, so yeah, you don't necessarily have to use the, the gnarly stuff like they still use in the produce that we eat, let's say. It's really funny how my industry has become super overregulated compared to pretty much the rest of the agricultural industry in this country. So that's my little axe right? to grind on that. <laughs> little axe to grind on that subject. But, uh, <laughs> that's cool. Why don't you also talk a little bit? I mean, California just recently legalized the marijuana industry. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about what you had to go through in getting yourself to be kosher and legal? Oh, I'm still going through it. Uh, it's, it's a process. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, California waited. I, I feel like, in, in my mind, they waited and let Colorado and Oregon and Washington go to kind of sit back and, and see because they had so much invested in it. They didn't want to, they didn't want to be the first and, and fumble it. So they kind of uh, let these other states and then they learned lessons from them and then they implemented their own plan and fumbled it anyway. Um, but, uh, it, it's a process. Uh, I think that their initial uh, concern was so many people were growing here that uh, that were doing poor practices and and stuff, which I definitely am seeing an, an exodus of the industry of these uh, people that maybe aren't giving the rest of us the best reputations or still using some 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 chemicals and some uh, fertilizers that they shouldn't be using. Uh, they're slowly starting to exit the scene now. But they've made it very difficult. I think it's been a practice of deterrence by the by the government to try to um, make a lot of red tape and a lot of hoops, so the truly dedicated people will jump through them and and, and step two, and uh, they'll weed out. Excuse the pun. A bunch of the the people weed who maybe out. aren't uh, <laughs> aren't doing things properly. So uh, it's it's been a challenge, but you know we're 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 sticking with it. I'm still in my temporary state status i'm waiting for them to go ahead and approve all my applications and it's it's a process it costs a lot of money uh it takes a lot of time 
and energy. It requires a lot of paperwork, a lot of red tape. Um, but I feel like it's worthwhile. It's if, if this is truly an industry that's going to grow and develop, it needs some regulation. And I feel like maybe they overcorrected a little bit. The pendulum has swung too much the other way to overregulation, and it'll find its way back to the middle. But I think that uh, for now, it's, it's it's good. Totally agree. I want to touch a little bit more on some of the other uh, treatment options and some of the different studies that I've read about. Uh, Matt, you mentioned the recent FDA approval for epilepsy, and I wanted to Mm -hmm. give a little bit more detail for our listeners about that. They actually approved CBD oil. It's a 98% pure CBD oil. It's called uh, Epidiolex. And it's actually used – it's currently got granted a orphan drug status by the FDA, and it's also currently in phase three trials uh, as treatment for refractory seizures in childhood epilepsy. Kind of a cool, cutesy story. Um, they they uh, named the – so it's, it's called uh, – in the, the playful world, it's called Charlotte's Web. This is the strain of the CBD uh, – I guess, cannabis that they're using um, because Charlotte was one of the first patients that they treated with this uh, medication. And mm-hmm. obviously, kind of like a story you just told, her seizure rate dropped dramatically. And in fact, in 2014, Davinsky and his group did a study called Efficacy and Safety of Epidiolex in Children and found that there was a 50% reduction in epilepsy in over 40% of the pa- uh, children that were treated with this. A different study also studying the same thing, found there was – in a third of the patients that were dealing with this had, a, again, a 50% reduction in epilepsy. So that's huge. I mean if your kid was going through epileptic seizures, Jimmy, what would you do? Would you give your kids – Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean I, and I feel like I've seen these videos of parents saying, you know, they've traveled across the country to go get this treatment. And absolutely. I mean, I, I would do anything for my kids. And, um, you know, I've, it's it's just sad that this has to be like the last resort. You know, absolutely. Um, it's sad that it has to be the last resort. It's sad that you have to have the the negative connotations with it and that when people hear these stories i think deep down inside they do ask themselves is that something i would do is that something that i'd even believe in and you know what what we need the research we need the data and hopefully now with all this new uh you know ability to to have the product and and uh the the material in in schools and in in research institutions we're going to get more information and and hopefully it it helps many many people absolutely um another i just i'm not going to read off all of this but i just wanted to talk about just highlight a couple other uh conditions that it has been shown to positively treat even in studies. Um, So nausea, Matt mentioned that earlier. So actually in 1985, there was a treatment for, um, or it was uh, a study done on the treatment of cancer, chemotherapy-associated nausea and vomiting. And in this study, over 90% of the participants had a significant or total relief uh, from their nausea due to cannabis, or they use a synthetic THC um, which is awesome. Now there are newer anti-emetics, sorry, anti-nausea medications that have uh, comparable results without the potential addiction, quote unquote. 
Um, another thing to mention, spasticity and MS, so multiple sclerosis, the neur- neuropathic pain and disturbed sleep in these patients. There's been a significant improvement um, with a oral spray that they found. I assume that's from some sort mm. of uh, oil that they're extracting. Um, chronic pains, another one, especially related to cancer and um, other neuropathic pains. There are some either vaporized THC And there was even a combination between an oral version of a synthetic THC and a smoked version. There was a decrease in pain sensitivity, so 30% reduction in pain uh, in both populations who uh, uh, smoked or took the THC compared to any other types of uh, pain-relieving options that they were getting. So a last one, PTSD, of course, there – uh, endocannabinoid system is plays it plays a huge role just normally in our own brain and so uh, patients who took the uh, I forget what or I didn't record what uh, form that they were given but essentially they had significantly suppressed uh, symptoms of PTSD improved sleep quality decreased frequency in nightwear nightmares. And then their hyper hyper arousal symptoms all improved with the um, low levels of of THC. So recreational levels can actually cause the opposite or higher levels mm-hmm. of THC. But CBD mm-hmm. and lower concentration of THC had a huge improvement. So, and one last thing I do want to bring up actually in two thousand eight, uh, there was a endocannabinoids in the retina talking about marijuana and neuroprotective functions to the retina. So Matt, mm-hmm. retina is the tissue that sees in the eye. And actually, uh, especially in, in correlation with studying glaucoma, we worry about not only lowering the eye pressure, which we've seen that there's an improvement or an, a decrease in eye pressure, but also it has some signs of protecting the tissue from actually dying, which, of course, we need a lot more research to, to understand this. But if mm-hmm. it's also protecting our 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 nerves and our body from damage, then that's, that's a big deal. Cause right now Absolutely. we don't have anything a, that does that. I'm going to play devil's advocate now because you, yes. you just laid out beautifully research, hard data that, that, you know, goes across the healthcare spectrum, all, all reasons why we should, we should embrace this. Um, but we've all heard, you know, the reasons why, uh, People still balk at the idea. And probably the most cited issue is people are going to drive while high and, and kill themselves or someone else. Um, or addiction, is this a right? Reason? Or addiction. I don't hear that quite as much. but it, Or you know what I, I hear? Um, it's, it's a gateway drug. It, it leads people to other things. So, Matt, what do you think first about the uh, driving issue? Uh, so for people who recreationally use, I feel like that is definitely something that needs to be explored and regulated, uh, obviously. But I think as far as the medical side of it goes, what you're finding now is that you're able to, um, <clears throat> to isolate these compounds and get them down. So basically every, every plant has both CBD and THC in it. But usually if you have a high level of THC, you have a low level of CBD and vice versa. So I think that now that you're finding these treatments, like these, this medication that they're doing for children for epilepsy, that doesn't have THC in it. They are extracting the CBD and making the compound solely out of the CBD, which has no psychoactive effect. It has no intoxicant properties. Uh, basically, it's 
just the healthy stuff of it. So I think if you're on a CBD regimen, it's not a concern. It, it doesn't impair you in any way. So I don't think it does affect you if you're using it right. medically. Uh, but you do have to be careful because a lot of the edibles and stuff now, they're doing two-to-one CBD, THC. So even though you think that you're getting something that could potentially contain CBD and has CBD in it, it can also be mixed with THC. So that's when you have to be mindful as a consumer going into a dispensary and uh, and just talk to your, your bud tender or whoever is working. And uh, they can usually steer you in the, direct, the direction that bud you want to go. Yeah, the bud <laughs> tender. Uh, it's uh, – you know, and it's still all evolving. Like the, the process, we're playing catch up for, you know, 20 or 30 years of dragging our feet and just, you know, ignoring the science and and just this old old school minds, mindset of, like you said, a gateway drug. Well, now they're finding it's not a gateway drug. They're calling it an exit ramp drug because they're finding that it helps people coming off of opiate addiction and it helps them get off of these harder drugs. It's It's a nice step down for them. So I think that... Every day we're learning okay. more, and we just need to put this old mindset that it's it's evil and it's going to make us put our babies in the oven and you know neglect them or whatever this <laughs> cornball reefer madness from the from the fifties mindset is, and embrace the fact that like any like any recreational drug you can you can take too much you can be abused but fortunately they're finding out it's no one's ever OD'd on. Marijuana. No one's ever died as a result of taking too much marijuana. Now, sure, we may have taken so much that we become very paranoid and we have a bad experience from it. But that comes back to people's body's chemistry and how different people react differently to different compounds. And I'm a stringent believer that if one strain maybe doesn't affect you in the best way, don't give up and think, oh, it affects me poorly. I think keep playing. You know, if it was a sativa, try an indica. I feel like there's a strain out there that kind of fits everyone's body chemistry. And you have to kind of, you know, just like, just like a medication that your doctor would prescribe you, there's going to have certain side effects that maybe you're susceptible to that the rest of the population's not, but it shouldn't deter you from trying to find that right compound that works for you. And, uh, love that slow clap, yeah. <laughs> slow, slow clap it out. <laughs> love it. This was good. This was really good. And I feel like we could talk for literally days and, and just have a whole podcast on on this topic. And I'm sure there probably are podcasts on this topic. Um, but thank you, Matt, for for uh, sharing everything with us and taking time out of your uh, growing season, <laughs> you know, to uh, to chat with us a little bit. And uh, if I'm ever you know, in, on your side of the country, I'm going to come check your farm out. It sounds really Absolutely. Cool. You're welcome. Open invitation. Absolutely. Love it. Thank you, Matt, so much. Check out Misty Bear Creek Farm if you ever see it on the shelves, folks. But uh, thanks again, Matt. And I'm, I know everyone's going to be super interested. If anyone has any questions, feel free to send us a note on our Facebook or Instagram account. But again, for today, that does it. We'd love to thank our sponsors, Valley Contacts, for their support, not only in making our amazing sclera uh, lenses, but also, of course, the great people they are to work with. Stay tuned as we continue our spooky series through the month of October, because um, we have some other fun stuff we're going to talk about that are extra spooky. But until then, try not to blink.